Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. If you're joining us by way of audio, video, podcast, if you were in the cafe this morning, God bless all of you. Welcome. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. You're about to see something that's never happened before because we just invented it. This is a tag team sermon. Uh, Jason Dunbar and I will be uh, sharing these preaching duties for the next four weeks together, and we're excited about this. The message series is entitled Heroes and Villains. Heroes and villains. We're going to take a look at some Old Testament showdowns between heroes and villains to learn lessons that we can learn. Uh, The the fundamental facts we have to establish, first of all, number one, everyone is fighting a spiritual battle. Help me out, Catherine. Everyone is fighting a spiritual battle. You may not be aware of this. You may not understand this. In some ways, you listen to this and think, that's crazy. I'm not fighting any battle. I'm just getting up every day. I'm, I'm raising my family. I'm going to work. I'm going to church. I'm not fighting any battle. And the fact that you don't know you're fighting a battle is what makes me really scared for you because you have an enemy. Everyone has a spiritual enemy. His name is the devil, Satan, the evil one, whatever you want to call him. You may not know his name, but he knows your name. And he is relentless. He's not giving you a day off, a week off. If you're having a bad day, he doesn't feel sorry for you. He goes in for the kill. Do you understand? Everyone is fighting a spiritual battle. There's no question here. You are fighting a spiritual battle, and you need to understand that. But you need to understand some other things about the battle. The second thing you need to know is victory belongs to you because you belong to Jesus. Victory belongs to you. The the outcome is not uncertain. We know how this whole thing turns out. We know that victory belongs to Christ. And since you belong to Christ, victory belongs to you. As I say, the outcome is not uncertain. There's no way you're going to lose this thing. The battles that you face, you've already won. You don't fight for victory, you fight from victory because victory belongs to Jesus and you belong to Jesus, right? Are you with me? Am I starting too strong? See, it's a tag team. I'm going to take you down and Jason's going to come and finish you off. That's how we're going to operate today. Uh, No way. Victory belongs to you because you belong to Jesus. That means the only way you can lose this thing is if you don't fight. The only way you can lose is if you don't understand that you already have victory. The only way that you can throw this thing away is if you just simply don't show up to fight. You get that? You understand that? Victory is certain. One more thing. It's about your enemy. He is persistent, which means what? He never stops. He never stops. He comes at you. He comes at you. He comes at you. He is persistent, but he is predictable. And this is our advantage here, and this is the magic of this sermon series. He's persistent. He keeps coming and coming and coming, and he's been coming since the very beginning. He doesn't stop until Christ himself one day crushes him under his foot. You understand? So for now, he continues to fight persistently, but he's predictable. The devil is not smart, and he's basically lazy which means he does not have any new tricks. All of his tricks are old, as old as the book. So understand, because he's persistent but predictable, we are not unaware of his schemes, as Paul says. We know exactly how he comes against us. We know how he's going to target us. If we pay attention to what he's already done, we know what he's about to do because he doesn't have any new tricks. He's persistent but predictable. So this morning, let's start off with our first showdown. This is Abel versus Cain from Genesis chapter 4. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. 
We're going to take a look at this passage. We're going to pay attention to the hero. In this story, the hero is... Y'all are really going to have to read this, aren't you? The hero is Abel. Abel is the brother who is killed by his brother, Cain. Cain kills Abel. This is one of the very first showdowns in Scripture. We're going to take a look at the showdown. We're going to read the passage together. We're going to learn from the example of the hero. And then we're going to also learn the schemes of the evil one by watching how the villain operates. You ready? All right, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Let's go. Let's read this together. Starting in chapter 4. Verse 1, now Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. And later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. And Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. But the Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Very first showdown. You can learn a lot just by watching the way the boys are born. First off, who's the oldest? Cain is the oldest of the brothers. Now, there is some speculation that possibly Cain and Abel could be twins, but we don't know that. The scripture doesn't specify or require that, but Cain and Abel are brothers. Cain is the oldest of the two brothers. Now, if you notice in the story, Abel, who in some ways is the hero at the same time, he's got the smallest part. He doesn't even have a speaking part. If he says anything in this whole thing, it's probably just, you know, what the, you know, I mean, he doesn't have any words to say. He's born second. Cain gets this kind of wonderful name from his mother. You notice what it says. Eve uh, was with her husband, Adam. She became pregnant when she gave birth to Cain. She named him Cain, which means something like with the Lord's help, I have received uh, a son. So Cain's name itself has something to do with receiving something beautiful from God, receiving a gift. That's Cain's name. But look at Abel's name. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. I mean, no explanation, no uh, little story about how he, when he was born, I mean, nothing like that. It's just she named him Abel. But it's interesting because do you happen to know what the name Abel means? In the book of Ecclesiastes, there is that refrain over and over and over that says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And we usually just, that we explain that vanity means something like mist or, or some, something that vanishes, some sort of smoke. Uh, it's, it's the idea of meaninglessness, something that is so passing, something that is so transitory. Do you understand that that's Abel's name? 
Abel's name means morning mist. It's that same word that in Ecclesiastes means vanity, vanity. It's like from the very beginning, Eve seems to know that Abel's not here for long. He's vanishing. He is not going to be long for this world. So Abel's name in itself is something like morning mist, something like dust in the wind. It's the idea that this boy is here today, gone tomorrow. And truly this boy is here today, gone tomorrow. Except for what scripture says in Hebrews chapter 11. Remember what the passage says. This is the New Testament, but it says this. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Interesting. So there's this irony. Abel's name itself means, you know, passing away, here today, gone tomorrow, dust in the wind. But at the same time, the scripture says, he lives on. Abel's name, Abel's example, Abel's faith lives on. So what is it about him? What is it about this boy who is here today, gone tomorrow? What is it about him that that, that gives us such an amazing, lasting lingering example of faith well the only thing we know about him his only real story is of all things a story of of worship it's a story of worship the only action that we know that abel ever took is an action where he brings something to god now the two brothers are different one is a shepherd the other one is a farmer he raises produce vegetables that sort of thing and they each bring something of their livelihood to god in a moment of worship abel is a shepherd he's a keeper of sheep which is an interesting way to say it but that's the way the hebrew text says it he's a keeper of sheep that's interesting because later cain's going to say what Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, Abel is a keeper, keeper of sheep. And the scripture says something very important. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. The important thing to remember when it comes to worship, when it comes to Abel, is very, very simply, he gives his best to God. You give your best to God. Now, this isn't really an evaluation of whether or not Abel's lamb was somehow more important than Cain's vegetables. We know that, honestly, it's not really about what they bring. But the important thing to note here is that the offering represents something else. It represents the heart that brings it. And so for Abel, he brings his best to God, his very best lamb, his very best from his livestock. He doesn't bring, you know, the calf you got out there, you know, with three legs and pink eye. Now, he doesn't do that. Now, the temptation would be to bring something like that, something that you could spare, you know, the animal out of the field that you wouldn't really miss. I mean, that's the temptation when you're going to give something away. The temptation is to give something away that you're not going to miss. So we often give something less valuable to God, even though worship is about attributing worth to God. So if God is the most worthy of all, if God's the most important thing in your life, then you should be willing to give the most valuable thing in your life. You give God your best. Unfortunately, many of us never follow this example. We never learned this lesson. God gets the leftovers. 
I mean what the scripture says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall work. The seventh day belongs to the Lord your God. But, but for many of us, I hear people say, Pastor Tim, Sunday's the only day I got. No, you have six days. You have six days. The Sabbath belongs to the Lord. But unfortunately, we just always give God what's left over. If we're busy, it's God that gets cut out. If we're struggling with our finances, it's it's our offering that gets cut out. We don't ever seem to get this idea that if God is really the most valuable thing in your life, then you are willing to give the most valuable parts of yourself. You give your best to God. Now, the sermon series is about spiritual warfare. So let's take a look at Abel here and find out what you can learn about spiritual warfare. And the one very interesting insight here is basically this. Abel doesn't even really know he's about to have a fight. Abel has no idea. What he does in worship is completely between him and the Lord. This has nothing to do with his brother. He's not looking over his shoulder to see what his brother does. He's not paying any attention to that at all. And yet, and yet, and yet, he becomes caught up in a very, very important struggle. The the important lesson about spiritual warfare here is very, very simple. You don't go looking for the fight. The fight finds you. You're just thinking, I've got to deal with the devil. I'm going to leave him alone and he's going to leave me alone. You understand there are no deals with the devil. The only deal is he is like a roaring lion roaming to and fro, seeking somebody who devour, and you look pretty good to him. He wants to devour you. He will ruin you in any way that he can. He has a target on your back, on the backs of your children. He will destroy you in any way that you can. You're thinking that you're on some sort of neutral territory. You're thinking that, you know, spiritual battles are for priests and people in horror movies. But I'm telling you, this is why you're a sitting duck for the devil. It's why you're living a life more than likely of complete spiritual defeat. Because you don't even understand that there is a battle. You don't even understand that the devil never lets up on you. And for that reason, he wins. You don't go looking for the fight. The fight finds you. The book of 1 John chapter 3 says this. Interesting how many times the New Testament goes back to this story. But 1 John says this. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised if the world hates you. Now, interesting This is the lesson that John takes from the story of Cain and Abel. And the lesson is, listen, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Abel may not have been looking for the fight, but the fight found him. And you learn from that example. Don't be surprised. I'm I'm telling you, the world's going to hate you. We're not talking about people. We're talking about the structures. We're talking about the, the, the evil forces in the world that often operate in the lives of other people. Make no mistake, but, but make no mistake, the world's going to hate you. The fight's going to find you, and you are not going to find some sort of neutral territory here. You are in this thing. You are in this battle. But it seems unfair, doesn't it? I mean, Abel's not looking for a fight. So when his brother says, hey, let's go walking out on the backside of the field, Abel's not thinking anything about that. He doesn't understand that he's being set up. He doesn't understand the ambush. I mean, Cain drags him out to the back side of the farm, back there where nobody can understand or see. Nobody's going to protect him. Nobody's ever going to hear him scream. 
he dies in secret. He's killed in private. And it looks like Cain gets away with it. So it's so frustrating in this life, in this fight where we're told that we already have victory. Why does it often seem so random? Why does it often seem like good loses and evil wins every day of our lives? Why does it often seem like evil's on top? I mean, Cain kills Abel. He kills him. And Cain belongs to the evil one. How does that work? It often seems like God's not paying attention. It seems like God is sitting on his hands. It seems like there's this battle going and the devil just has his way. But you got to see, it doesn't work that way. No matter how it seems, this is very important for you to remember, God sees. I mean, Cain may have taken Abel to the backside of the farm and nobody else can see, but God sees and God knows and God is going to settle the score. It sometimes seems like evil is winning. It sometimes seems like evil is winning in your life. Don't ever believe that. Don't ever believe that. God sees, God settles the score. So what does this say? The Lord says, what have you done? Listen, verse 10. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Cain thought he got away with it. Cain thought nobody would know. But God says, your brother's blood cries out to me. Do you understand what that means? It means God sees, God settles the score and God's about to deal with Cain. Actually, this is a story about Cain. You know, God is really dealing with that relationship between Cain and himself throughout this whole story. And, and we tend to think, oh, Cain's the bad guy, right? Cain's the enemy. Cain is not the enemy. We get so deceived in thinking one way because that's where Satan is, is pushing our face. The enemy is Satan. So let's talk about how we can use the life of Cain in this spiritual battle that we face every day in our lives. Ephesians 6, 12 says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against each other. We're not fighting against the things that are going on in our world. We're fighting against Satan. You know, Cain was upset. We see that. We see that he was mad. We see that Cain was just really angry. And, it, and, and we, we really don't understand. You know, we, we read this and we're why, there's no explanation as to specifically why Cain's offering wasn't accepted. We know for reading and we know through kind of just studying that it wasn't about Cain's stuff that he presented. It was about what Cain was presenting to God with his heart. And so the, the trick that Satan uses is that he distracts us. He distracts us with everything that's going on around us, with our anger and in Cain's situation, with our jealousy, with our pride, with our arrogance, with our busyness. And, and he wants us to focus on all of that and forget what's going on here. And so Satan wants us to be so distracted by our anger or whatever it is that's in our life that we don't notice him slip his foot into the door. That's how he tricks us. And, and he, he slips that foot. If you, you know, you're, you're trying to keep a salesman comes to your door. You're trying to close that door. You don't want to. They stick their foot in there and it makes it difficult to close that door completely, right? That's what Satan wants. Just a tiny bit. That it opens up and he can wedge his way in to our lives before we even realize what's going on. And so Cain thinks that Abel is the problem. Cain thinks that this, this brother of his is getting everything that he's ever wanted. He's being treated the way that Cain feels like he should be treated, right? You ever felt like that? You feel like you're doing everything right. You know, you're, you're 
You're dotting all your I's, crossing all your T's. You're following the way you should be following. And then you have these people over here that are just kind of just floating through life. And things seem to work out for them, right? I'm the kind of person, I like things to be fair. That's my personality. I like balance. I like equality. I like fairness. This is not the world for me to live in, right? This is not a fair world. But that's the reality of life. You know, so, so I, I feel like, and I know I'm not perfect, so I know I mess up, but I feel like I work hard. I feel like I do things the best of my ability. And then I, I look over and I see somebody who, you know, by all accounts hasn't done much of anything, and they're, they're succeeding. They're, they're, they're even surpassing what I can do. And, I, and so I get that balance out in my head, and I'm like, well, this doesn't make sense. How is it that this person is getting something that I'm not getting? How are they achieving things that I could never achieve? And I work hard. And so I... I I begin to maybe get a little jealous or I get a little angry. This enters my, my life and my heart just a little bit before I even realize it. And suddenly Satan has a foothold in my heart. He, he, he can wedge his foot in and begin to pull us away. Satan wants us to focus so, so much on those issues of, of inequality or unfairness in our lives that we forget, hey, 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 it's not about them. It's not about what they're doing. It's not about what they're bringing to me. It's about you, Jason. What are you bringing to me? That's what God's asking. And so we read this story. And if you've grown up in church, you've read the story of Cain and Abel probably hundreds of times or heard it in, in different variations. But there's always the question that gets asked, why did God reject Cain's offering? Um, you know, as a kid, I just didn't really understand that. You know, why? And it wasn't about the offering itself. You know, Cain brought what he brought. It's the best of whatever he planted it wasn't because his Brussels sprouts weren't sprouty enough or his, his green beans didn't snap well. It was because his heart wasn't right. It had nothing to do with his in comparison to Cain's lamb or Abel's lamb chops. You know, because we think, oh, lamb chops, lamb, that's going to be the best. That's why. No, it had nothing to do with the actual offering. It had nothing to do with Cain or Abel in, in themselves. It was what was going on in Cain's heart. And so... Cain was so busy looking outward and everything that's going on around him and, and the, the fact that his brother's being treated better than him, that he's, he's, he's getting things a little bit easier in life. He's so focused on that that he did not see what's going on here. Do we do that in life? Yeah. Everybody in this room, myself included, we do this without even realizing it. We, we, we begin to, to compare ourselves you know, to this person or to what's going on in these people's lives, especially with social media. You know, you put the best of the best out on social media, so everybody looks like they're just having it all together, and you're over here trying to just get dinner made. It's, it's a struggle, and you don't understand, so you begin to compare. You begin to get jealous. You begin to get angry. You begin to, to sense that unfairness, that inequality, and that anger opens that door to your heart. And Satan slips in. So Cain's heart was in the wrong place. His motives were all wrong. He, he didn't have... What he was supposed to be presenting to God, it wasn't about the, the vegetables. It was about his heart. That's what he was presenting to God. We have the opportunity to present our lives to God every day. Especially on, on Sunday, we tend to put on this face, this mask, the Sunday morning, have it all together mask. And Cain probably did that. You know, he, was, he brought his offering, you know, put on his Sunday morning face. Look at me, God. This is what I'm offering you. I've got it all together. But God sees past that, which we've talked about. God sees past what's going on out here and sees what's going on in here. You know, he sees through those motions. And Satan wants us to focus so much on our appearances and how, how we can keep those up that we forget why we're, what we're, what are we covering up? 
You know, I want to convince everybody that I have my life together. I want to convince everybody on Sunday morning that we are the epitome of the Christian family. And, and, and forget about the ride up here that's screaming, you know, forget about all that. And, and we get so focused on that. Let, let's, how, do we, how can we put this mask on? How can I make myself appear to be a great Christian? How can I make myself appear to be the, the, the best believer possible that we forget there's a relationship that's going on in here that I'm just ignoring? You know, if Satan knows that if, if it's, a, it's a mask that we can put on, then it's a mask that we can take off. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to just focus all on this and forget about what's going on in here. And it becomes something that we can't handle before we realize it. Because sin starts small. We, we saw the devastation of a hurricane just this past week, and, you know, it just blasted in. That is not at all how Satan operates. Uh, we tend to think that sin is such this big negative thing, and so we'll see it coming. That is not, that's not Satan's MO. His MO is just to slip something into your life a little bit. It, it, it makes me think of like a riptide. Have you ever been swimming in the ocean and there's a, there's a riptide and, you know, you feel it gently pulling you out to see. Sometimes you may not even notice it. You know, it's a slow pull until, you know, you're, you're away from solid ground. And that's the trick of Satan. You know, he wants us to be comfortable. He wants us to enjoy what's going on around us. And, you know, we might feel that there's a riptide, but I'll keep it in the back of my mind. I'll, I'll know it's there. Until suddenly I turn around and I'm 100 yards out from shore. I'm half a mile down the beach from where I started and I can't touch bottom anymore. What happens then? You panic, right? If you've ever been caught in a riptide, you begin to panic. Your, your instinct is, I need to get back to shore. I'm going to swim right back to shore. So you start swimming, you start working hard, and you're fighting against this current and, and it exhausts you. And sometimes it may overtake you. But here's the thing that Satan doesn't want you to know, that there is a way out. God always gives us a way out, no matter how far we go. You know, you get caught in that rip current. We were in, in Daytona last week, and, or the week before last, and there was the red or the orange flag out, you know, rip current. It wasn't too bad until one particular day uh, toward the end of our trip. It was so strong. You, you know, with it being just up to your knees, you could hardly stand up. Uh, but those days leading up to it, you could feel the current, but really didn't think much about it. I was like, I, I've got this. I can, I can stand up. I'm okay. But I realized that at one point I was way out and this was pulling me out and I couldn't touch bottom. And so the instinct is to panic. But the way out, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with the rip current, if you just begin to swim parallel to the beach, you know, use the current a little bit and ease your way out of it, and then you can swim right on back. It's not always that easy, but it gives us an opportunity to escape whatever it is that has this grasp on us. And so God always gives us a plan, always gives us a way to defeat whatever it is that Satan is throwing at us. It may not be easy. Our, our instinct is to face it and to, to run at it and try to take care of it ourselves. We've got to get out of this. But God says, no, this is how you do it. This is how you defeat him. And he gives us an opportunity. He did this to Cain. He, he, told, he called him out on his sin. He said, listen, you're not doing what is right, but you can do what is right. Cain didn't listen. He he. he he thought, oh, I've got this. You know, he, he, he may not even realized how angry he was until it came to that point. Cain didn't wake up thinking, I'm going to be a murderer. Cain just woke up angry. You know, I'm mad. This didn't seem fair. My life is not fair. And that anger began to well up, began to swell in his life until he snapped. He's like, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to take out whatever this source of my anger is, thinking that that was able you know, we don't wake up thinking that I'm going to be a liar today. I don't wake up thinking that I'm going to, to do these series of bad things in my life. We wake up 
hopefully with an idea of I'm going to do well today, but I haven't addressed what's going on in my life. I haven't addressed the sin of anger or, or, or laziness or, or bitterness, whatever it is that's, that's going on in here. If we don't address that, it will take over you. It says the sin is crouching at the door. You think of a little kitten. You know, it's there. It's a sin in our life, but I, it might be a little bit wild at times. It might be a little uncontrollable at times, but for the most part, I can, I can hang on to this sin. I can control it. I can manipulate it. But that kitten grows to a tiger that you can't control anymore before you know it, and it takes over your life. And you're thinking, you're thinking, I don't, I don't deal with the things that Cain's do. I don't, I, don't, I don't have a problem with anger. So maybe for you, it's not anger. Maybe for you, it's something else. Maybe for you, it's, it's uh, lust, it's pride, it's, it's envy. Uh, there's a, you know, tons and tons of things that, that sin uses to infiltrate our lives. We all have seasons and moments in our lives where we mess up. You know, everyone in this room has or, you know, has or will sin in their life. You know, we can't go and say, well, I go to church. I'm a, I'm a believer. I don't struggle with those things. Yes, you do. You may not struggle with them quite as, as deeply as, as the person sitting next to you, but they probably don't struggle with the same thing you're struggling with. We all have something that we, we deal with, and the sooner that you recognize it and identify it, the easier it's going to be for God to teach you how to defeat it. God wanted to give Cain victory. God wanted to, to see him win in, in, this, in this battle, but when he loses that fight, God didn't say, I'm done with you. God didn't say, that's it. I'm, I'm done. It's over. No, God chose, instead of to give him victory in this particular situation, God said, I'm going to give you mercy which is so powerful. You know, even, even, even in the midst of mercy throughout Cain's story here, Cain still allowed that sin to grow in his life. You know, again, it snowballed from anger to murder in a matter of a chapter. And so he was so focused on everything going on out here, he failed to see that sin crouching at his door. And so Cain thought, again, that it was able but it was not against flesh and blood. It was against the battle that's going on in our hearts. We see these battles on TV like Tim, Tim referenced, you know, your spiritual battles. You think priests and preachers and, and, again, those horror movies, and you see these crazy, evil things going on. We think that's spiritual battle. Spiritual battle is fighting that, that little bit of anger that you have going on in your heart. Spiritual battle is defeating your weaknesses. Whatever they happen to be, that's spiritual battle. God is always calling us back to him. God is always drawing us to him. And no matter how far we've strayed, no matter how far we've left that tide pull us out away from solid ground, he is there to bring us right back, to offer mercy, to offer forgiveness, grace, whatever it is that we need. There's never a point that we have gone too far for God to draw us back to him. And there's, there's, it, it, that's an extreme, but if, you, if you're on the stream, side of this extreme and you think, well, it's just a little bit of anger. I mean, it's justified. This person treated me horribly. This person is being, you know, elevated to pass me when I'm the one that did all the work. You, you justify it. And then you, you, you begin to, to let that just kind of sit there, and you begin to let it swell before you even realize what's going on. So, you know, if you're at the extreme of that, it might be a little bit more obvious to you. So, so I'm speaking to a lot to those in here in this room who, who might just not even realize that they have a little bit of something going on in there, a little bit of sin that, that's, that's, that Satan has got his foot just barely inside the door of your heart. 
because that's when it's dangerous, when we don't realize it, when we, when we think we have it under control, because the moment we think we control it, we can control it, is the moment we lose control. Satan might not have victory over us, but he is going to do everything he can to bring us down with him, right? He is going to cause as much damage as he can to bring us down in his, with, with his life, that he's, you know, he's going down on a sinking ship. He knows that, but he's going to try to bring all of us with him. But the key to defeating Satan is this. You know, again, maybe you don't realize anger. Anger's not your thing. But what is it that, that Satan uses in your life? What is your weakness? We all have weaknesses, maybe multiple ones or maybe just a single weakness. But what is it that is your weakness? Because that's where Satan is going to be crouching. He's going to wait for any moment that he can to throw that little bit of anger into your life. Look at that person. Look at them. They are doing so much better, and they don't deserve it. You deserve that. You deserve that promotion. You deserve to get a raise. You deserve to, to have all those things that that person has. Why aren't you angry about that? And he's going to allow that door to open just enough to get his foot in there, and then he's going to get a hold of you. We all have weaknesses. It doesn't make us lesser believers. It doesn't make us, you know, you know bad people. It just makes us human. So this morning... I want us to, to think about your life. Think about what it is in your heart. How, how long has it been since you've looked in your heart? You get so busy, we, we, we got to check off the list of reading our scripture and praying and do all these things. I got to go to church on Sunday. I got to go to church on Wednesday. I got to do all these things. Those are great. We have to do those things. But we forget to really look at what's going on in here. What is Satan trying to do in my life? We have to be on the, the alert all the time at what's going on in our lives. God offers us grace and mercy. It's, it's a free gift that, that he has given us, and, and we sometimes just kind of just laugh in its face, and, and, and I've got this, I've got this, until it gets too much, and then we want to run to God. In Hebrews 12, 24, it says, Abel's blood cried out for vengeance, but the blood of Jesus Christ cries out for forgiveness. He offers forgiveness to all of us. He offers mercy to all of us, what is it in your life that you need forgiveness for? We all need it. It doesn't, again, make you, oh, I, that person comes down to the front to pray for forgiveness. They must have, their life is falling apart. That's not what it's about. It's a, it's, 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 it's a celebration when someone realizes, hey, I have a weakness here. I need help. That's a celebration because they are ahead of what Satan might be trying to do in their lives. So this morning, what is it in your life that you are weak in? What is your weakness? What is your, your, your sweet spot that, that Satan knows he can just kind of wedge open that door in your life? Because God offers forgiveness. God offers mercy. Whatever it happens to be, if it's something that you, you struggle with internally and nobody else knows about it, you know. What is it this morning? Give it to God this morning. He offers you the gift of mercy and forgiveness. Tim will be down front. We'll be here just Offer it to God this morning. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you for opening our eyes to, to the schemes of Satan and, and, and allowing us to learn from the heroes of faith, God. I pray that you help us to, to see the weaknesses that we have in our lives, Lord, to identify those, Lord, and no matter how few or, or, or many they might be, God. I pray that you please make those clear to us so that we can give those to you and that we can accept your gift of, of mercy and forgiveness in our lives, God. We love you, we praise you, and we ask these things in your son's name.